welcome to the PE Huddle. And as you know, Gopher sponsors this and supports it. And Gopher puts a, whether you know it or not, if you haven't been on the web, Gopher puts a lot of time and money into supporting health and physical education teachers. And uh, I thank Gopher for that. And if you get a chance, thank them as well. Um, by many of you, by now, many of you have seen the ASAP website that includes instructional materials for grades PK through 12. There's lesson plans, videos, instructional signs, informative assessments, and someone uh, called me not too long ago and said, well, how much does your curriculum cost? And I said, well, I'll tell you exactly this much, zero. It's free. It's there for you. I'm giving it back to you. All you teachers have done a lot for me. Gopher recently released a new equipment inventory tool called the PE Equipment Calculator. Michael Ewan's done a lot of work on that, and it's pretty neat. And it'll help you complete your inventory, and this time of the year is when you have to do that. So um, it's all based on the SHAPE national standards and helps you justify your equipment needs to your principal, administrator, supervisor, whomever. So uh, if you want to find out about it, visit gophersport.com slash PE calculator and watch a short video on it. Let's meet today's guests. Now, look, I'm coming right out of the chute and I'm coming out of the chute honestly here. Alvin tried to teach me how to say his name. And it's a beautiful name. It's it's you know it's a little fancier than Pangrazy, but I tried to say it and I really didn't do it justice. Alvin, give me your name and say it as beautifully as you do. Uh, my last name is Muddy Charangi. There you go. So it's Alvin for me going forward now. Here we go. But uh, I have deep respect for you, and so I'll practice that name uh, as we get into it here but he's been an educator for 24 years in Hawaii and his experiences in teaching. I mean, this guy's run the gamut that range from pre-K, elementary, middle school, high school, and teaching at the university level. So he's been around. Then I tell you what his main focus areas are and you see he's even been around more, physical education, health education, adaptive PE, weight training. Is there anything that you haven't done? So currently he's teaching five high school weight training courses and he has 45 to 50 students per class. So we're gonna ask him about large class sizes today somewhere along the way. He's also the head strength and conditioning coach that trains and services all the athletic sports at Kahuku High School. In the midst of this, he still finds time to teach at Brigham Young University of Hawaii as an adjunct faculty member. He's a firm believer that managing students is the key to unlocking their potential to learn at any age, any level. Brian Hall, another man with great experience. All of Brian's experience, he's, he's taught 10 years in the Denver Public Schools uh, and all his experiences have been in high needs Title I schools. And Brian, uh, just to Make it clear to our audience, if some of them don't know, what's a Title I school? You call it a high-needs Title I school. Tell us about that. Yeah, thanks, Bob. So the last school I was at seven years, Bruce Randolph, when I say high-needs, highly impacted, um, my school was 99% free and reduced lunch. 35% of my students were on uh, IEPs. 
the mobility rates from my students were the highest in the state and that's where they enter one school they quickly leave exit get into another school and then 40 percent of my students were also english language learners so with all of those stuff collectively that's what makes a school high needs or title one i'm convinced the way you explained it boy there's no question that's high needs uh, brian firmly believes in getting students engaged in fitness mvpa games and activities in 2018 he received the Shape Colorado High School Teacher of the Year Award, but he wasn't satisfied to stop there. He went on in 2020 and he won the National Shape America High School Teacher of the Year Award. In July 2021, Brian decided to accept a different challenge and join the Spark and Gopher sport teams. Brian firmly believes in the education aspect of physical education. So today, you know, we're looking at two secondary educators that are great believers in education, management, and discipline. And so uh, it, it should be a good hour for us. And so welcome, Brian and Alvin. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks, Bob. I certainly, awesome. appreciate, I certainly appreciate both of you taking the time to be part of the huddle. And, and <clears throat> let me warm up your uh, pipes there a little bit by asking you a couple questions about teaching physical education. I, I know both of you see it uh, as a place, phys ed as a place where students need to learn an active lifestyle and necessary life skills. Uh, tell me uh, how that relates to your philosophy and how you think high school PE should be, or physical education at any level. Alvin, you've been at all levels, so go for it. Um, for me, my philosophy is simple. It's, uh, it's to help students develop a physically active lifestyle. So basically, whatever I teach relates back to that. And so what comes to mind is if you're walking in the park one day and you saw, maybe you saw a bunch of people playing ultimate Frisbee and they and they asked you to come and join them, um, I would hope that you would have enough confidence or enough background in it to join them and be a part of it. And so when I'm when I'm teaching something, it's not it's not just for you know for something that's done right away but it's 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 to be able to enjoy the opportunities when you get older and uh to be able to still do some of the you know physically active things that you were doing as as a youngster because if you're not participating or having that opportunity as a youngster you're less likely to be active as you're older and then that's when all these you know that's when problems start to arise so key point for me is to try to develop a student that's going to be confident um being able to interact social, socially. So when you have opportunities, when they do go to a gym or something like that, you know, they have no problem stepping in and enjoying themselves and uh, working towards, you know, being more healthy. Great, great. Um, Brian, weigh in on that, if you would. Alvin, you couldn't have said it any better. Um, I echo everything you just said. For me, I always, try to expose my students to as many physical activity options as possible. And then not only that, I always wanted to explain to my students why activity is important, not just physically, but mentally and socially. And then I would always get everyone to understand what, what I do to stay active outside of school may be entirely different than you. If you go to the park, 
like Alvarin alluded to, you might see ultimate frisbee, you might see walking, you might see jogging, you might see spike ball. And I always really honed in on standard five. And that's students valuing physical activity for the health, enjoyment, challenge, and interaction with others. And physically is important, but I was always about why is moving important? What does it do to you and your lifestyle? And that's what I was always about. Yeah, I mean, wh what value is it? What what value is what you teach if kids do it and then graduate and never do it again? Then it's not lifestyle activity, is it? It's it's a dead end street. And you know, to be honest with you, when you look at our country, oftentimes one could say, "Wow, this is a very overweight country and, and an inactive country." Right. And so you know, they really need us big time. Uh, you know, while we're on that, we talked about life skills as well. Those are the skills people need to get along socially, et cetera. Um, if you were teaching, would it be more important to teach kids some frisbee skills or more important to learn how to play together in a game and get along with each other in a game? Uh, talk to me about those two things because it's it's not enough just to teach a skill, is it? I mean, you, you, you teach Frisbee, but if you don't teach them how to play a game and work together and cooperate and compete uh, fairly. So talk to me about life skills as you see the other part of physical education. Yeah, that's a good question, Bob. And for me, we as physical educators, we're in such a unique setting to where we have a standard around personal and social responsibility no other content has that so i always make sure students understand like teamwork cooperation encouragement conflict resolution and i was and i am very intentional in pointing that out when i see it exhibited in a pe setting because a lot of times you may have jose uh, that every other teacher in the building always ask me, how does Jose do this in your class? Well, a lot of the times it's always pointing out what he's doing well. And usually some of our most difficult students are leaders. They may be at home raising their younger siblings. And naturally, they do exhibit leadership and communication and helping somebody in need. So I was always intentional with pointing that out, but also making sure students knew playing in a game of Frisbee, for example, it's a lot more than just throwing a Frisbee, but it's about working together in a, co a cohesive manner. Yeah. Alvin, you want to weigh in on that? Right. Yeah, I mean, I like what Brian said about being intentional. Um, I, th I think in the past, that's what's given, you know, PE a rap, so, uh, uh, a bad rap in, in that it doesn't look like we're intentional when we go out there. There's, um, there has to be an objective or an assessment that you're trying to get out for. So if we're really trying to teach life skills, let's say it's, you know, um, sportsmanship or being able for, for youngsters, being able to uh, uh, understand personal space um, within the lesson itself, it can be, it can literally be structured um, within, within your instructions, within you modeling it. And then as you see it take place, you know, providing specific and initial praise rather than just giving a blanket, good job, everyone say, hey, I really like how you share your equipment with your 
um, you know, with your with your partners. You know, I really like how you keep personal space from, you know, not banging into anyone and being intentional about that. That way, when you do it that way, then the kids value it and you don't necessarily always have to, to say it or even if go, those that are off task, um, just being able to point out those that are on task and that are doing those things, um, you naturally give everyone the permission to behave in the way that they're supposed to, how they're supposed to share, how they're supposed to take turns, how they're supposed to handle disappointment, win or lose or compete and stuff. And that's why I think physical education is beautiful because we can handle a lot of things within our curriculum and within our content area than most other, um, most other content areas because we can implement those things, which to me carry over in decision-making and in getting along well with, you know, with people as they get older. It's very, it's, it's very true. Both of you said it well, and, and it is important that, uh, that we realize that's an important part of our job. A lot of times you'll hear teachers when they get tired, well, you know, I don't want to have to teach them how to behave. I just want to teach them the sport that, right. you know, that's not my job. That's the parents' job. Well, I'm, right. I'm telling you, <clears throat> you think about it for a second. Parents aren't necessarily the best place for kids who don't come from a good home to learn life skills because oftentimes they haven't learned any there. And if they don't learn them at home, then where are they going to learn them? You're their only hope. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no other hope. So good on you both. Um, Alvin, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about management because I know you're very high on management routines and I, I have a sneaking hunch you've used them at all levels, et cetera. But I often say that you can't teach if you can't manage students. What do you say, Alvin? You know, I got a quick story for you concerning that. Um, you know, I, I once took my, when my son was eight years old, I took him to a, a scout camp. And when you attend a scout camp, um, you know, there's air riflery, there's archery, there's a lot of these fun activities. And, you know, to, to make a long story short, when they went over to the archery range, within the 45 minute period they were there, they shot one arrow. <laughs> one and um you know, i'm standing there and i'm just like oh my goodness i mean I, I get it i realize it's a dangerous activity there obviously have to be rules but um there's a lot of different you know management things that you could do to still get the rules done to still be able to shoot some arrows and to modify some things and so to me that's based off of a solid management management plan and you know i, I felt bad obviously for the person giving the uh uh, giving the instruction, you know, obviously they weren't an educator and they don't have the skill set that we have or that we work on. And so a lot of it was reading rules one by one. And while they were doing that, I noticed that the kids were like whispering to each other, hey, don't touch the black bow or the green bow. That's mine. And they were so they were so excited. And I recall a video, one of your videos uh, on YouTube about, you know, students and depriving them the innate you know, their inner wanting to go out and move. And so we as adults have to sometimes get out of the way, get off our soapbox, stop talking, don't worry about pleasantries and just start and give them activity and stuff. It, it, it sounds backwards than what, you know, we don't need to get there and get fully organized and I'm so-and-so from here, I do this, I do this. I mean, just start. They don't want to listen to you. They want to they play, but there's an organized management way to do that. 
it's a great story and a great way to illustrate a point. And I can tell you, I've seen that many times where the teacher goes on and on and they get to shoot one basket or kick one ball or something. Right. You're, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. One of the problems with teaching, and I'm gonna let you weigh in, Brian, um, but one of the problems with teaching is we all come into teaching thinking we're natural teachers and we use the communication skills we learned at home and from professors who oftentimes weren't very effective. They stood up there and talked most of the time and didn't get you involved. And so you bring those skills in and you're exactly right. You, you know, a lot of the things we do, we do without thinking and by reversing them sometimes and getting them into activity, it's much more effective. Brian, weigh in on that if you would. Yeah, I always, just thought to myself without effective management routines, daily rituals, procedures, you could have the best lesson in the world, but without those things in place first, you really have no lesson. So I always was really intentional early on in the year and semesters of teaching the daily rituals, procedures, and then within two weeks of class, the class should honestly almost run itself. And then you as the teacher, you're a facilitator, of course, giving the instruction and content. But whether they're dribbling a basketball or throwing a Frisbee, they should know what equipment management protocols are. Or when you blow the whistle once, what do they do with the equipment? Or when they first walk into the gym, do they know what they're doing? Or are they just playing tag and jumping on the bleachers and all the stuff that I know we've all seen. But it's they've got to be firm, fair, consistent. But I genuinely believe without effective management and routines in place, your lessons can only take you so far. I think that I think well said. And this is going to be kind of a redundant question, Brian, but it was your it, it, it was your uh, wording, and I, and I liked it. I thought it was a neat way to say it. But you said, what does it mean to be a predictable teacher? I like that predictable teacher. Explain a little bit. Talk to a little bit about what you mean by that. Sure. So, I mean, again, with, with all of my experience being in high-needs high Title I schools, I'd say nine out of ten of the, nine out of 10 of the students I taught didn't have any predictability in their lives. So that means when they came to my gym, they knew what to do to start class. They knew what to do after exiting the locker rooms. They knew what to do as their do now or bell ringer activity. And every single day was the same in terms of routines. I never changed it on them. If I did see something not working, I would be very vocal with them and letting them know what's going to change the following day. But they always knew the first five, six, seven minutes of my classes were identical, regardless what unit I was teaching. Good. I like that. Alvin, you teach, a, you know, high risk activity in weight training. I mean, you know, you can you can drop a weight and cause a lot of damage. Um, talk to us about predictability in that environment. Well, um, it's, it's actually happening right now next door um, with my 50 kids. And um, I, I do have someone in there as well, but um, Brian, Brian hit the nail on the head as far as being predictable. Um, uh, 
especially with within the weight training field, because at any given time, if you really think about it, you're always one inch away from getting seriously hurt. When you have to rack a bar on a J hook or uh, on a safety catch, when you're doing a bench or a squat, you miss that catch or that hook, all that weight comes tumbling down. So we have to be a thousand percent accurate in those little things. Whereas if you make one mistake um, anywhere else, in, in sports or in athletics or in any type of movement, you, you can make mistakes. With this, you cannot. And so a lot of it is just procedure and routines. But what I found that works for me is that um, I allow the students to help me come up with those things. Um, and the management helps me because then, you know, I got 50 plus and I allow them to come up with rules that serve us as a class and what works best for us. And then on top of that is, um, it's 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 the relationship that I have individually with my students. Um, if I if they don't think that I care about them, I mean, I could have the cure to cancer, and they're not going to listen to me, and they don't care, right? And so, um, when I'm because of that that relationship that we have and we work on, you know, from day one, from the simple handshake to you know three weeks later asking them, you know, how is your football game or how's you know how things are at home or, or so and so, it helps when you have to trust that they can go out there and follow A, B, and C, put things away. When the bell rings, um, put this away, uh, make sure I log into my Google Classroom, input my, my data. And um, also, if something happens where they're not feeling well or if an accident did happen, having the courage to speak up and say, Mr. Muddy Tarangi, I saw this happen today. I have to share this with you. So it starts further back in the relationship building which leads into the management process to get me to do the things that I need to with the size of my class and the level of uh, uh, danger within a weight training class. Which comes, which comes first, management first, and then building relationships. One of the things you said is that to me, and it struck me when I read some of your talking points, you said effective management strategies create opportunities for building relationships with students. What do you mean by that? What I, what I mean by that is like, just, just, just like the youngster, right? If you talk too much, they're not gonna listen because they'd rather be playing. They're probably gonna say, hey, shut up, give me the ball. I wanna dribble it and I wanna go. So if I can show that I can manage quickly and allow them to play or allow them to execute something and not talk as much, then, they're, then they'll say to themselves, you know what? If I can just listen for five seconds, I'm gonna get five minutes of playing time. And so you, know, you, build, off of, you build off of something simple as that. And then, I, then they'll say something, you know, I noticed that when I listen to Mr. M, I'm more successful at that. But all I got to do is just get here on time, follow what's up on the board, and ask questions when needed. So mm -hmm. when you come up with the routine, as they buy into it little by little, you'll notice that the kids that are on task outweigh those that aren't, and then they conform. And so to me, the number really doesn't matter when it's 45 or 100. Like, I'm, I'm serious on this, that as long as I'm building the relationship within the management process, if 20 kids come in, all 20 will see what's on the board and start executing that. If 50 comes in, now I just got to provide the space for it. So it doesn't matter to me the size on that because once they're locked in with the management setting that I've set up, all I have to do is, um, have, you, have you ever seen the Chinese acrobats when they spin that plate on that, those needles? Many Your times. students are those plates. And you have to spin, take care of another one and spin. And sometimes you're spinning 30 of them. 
And that's, that's what teaching is about. So when I'm done for the day, I'm like literally done, but that's, that's what it means to me to manage continually spinning. And that spinning can come in the, um, it can come in the form of, you know, modeling, demonstrating, checking for understanding, explicit instructions, very, very, you know, very, very uh, simple things that are in the book, dynamic physical education that just get repeated, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat over and over again. So the size to me doesn't matter. It, it always works out in the end. I like that spinning the plates. That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's an interesting way to put it. Brian, I, I, go to it. Yeah, I mean, Alvin, you brought up a good point. And one thing you said that resonated with me was effective management routines should almost set up the ability of you building relationships with the students. So, right. I mean, every day, um, I always was at the my gym door entry, just giving everyone a fist bump, high five, just that initial greeting. But another thing I always did was after the students dressed out and came out of the locker rooms, I always had them read the objective that I had projected against the wall. And then they had to grab a strip of paper on the table and it just asked them a simple question about the objective. What are we learning today or on a scale from one to 10? How do you think you're gonna do today? And they needed to tell me their answer before the time was up. Now. To be honest, I wasn't always too intentional about what their answers were, but it was my chance to have one-on-one -on -one interaction with every single student before my class started. And that gave me a good gauge on who's having a good day, who's having a bad day. And then I can really strategically during the middle of a lesson, maybe pull Jose out and really just, hey, what's going on today, buddy? And that goes so far with a student that, wow, Mr. Hull really cares about me. And just one day after another of doing things like that, the management's in place, but the relationships at the same time are being very, very strong. Hey, Brian, you know, what you just, what you just emphasize is that kids really want structure in it and 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 you sharing that you care I, I i really like that i'm gonna steal that little um thing that you just said about writing questions and answering you know having them answer i like that thanks for sharing that yeah i mean and, and it's it's a good one the students if they say hey mr hull what are we doing today read the objective grab a question tell me but one it eliminates one, the students know what they're doing that day, but two, most importantly, like I said, you get that quick interaction with every student. Yeah, and, well, um, and the re go ahead. Well, I thought I thought just came to my mind that I I, I wanted to to add to that was that, what, like how you know Brian said that when you take a you know you get a temperature check of what's going on because students are engaged already and you can kind of. You can kind of like you know pull someone off to the side, and so part of uh, part of a procedure that we do or I do in my class is that when everyone's working, you can't tell what I'm doing when I'm walking up to students. So if it's something like bad news, like oh something just happened to your brother, you gotta leave, or or hey guess what, give me a high five. I really like how you did this last assignment, or so on. 
how it's structured within the management system is that nobody knows what it is. So no one feels singled out when you come and present them with mm -hmm. that information. And so um, I re remember hearing about like, um, you know, in dynamic physical education about scatter formation and how everyone's scattered about doing their own personal thing and working on a specific skill. And in the weight room, it's, it's like that. So when I'm going around, it's routine to see me going around and talking to everyone. So um, it just adds a sense of um, uh, just, you know, like I'm personalizing a message for everyone and no one knows if they're getting scolded. So there's a lot of times, you know, I've never gave good news. I was just telling somebody, guess what? You got to go to the office. The principal wants to see you, but nobody knows that. And so therefore everybody's willing to behave uh, naturally and not worry about if I come around and start talking to them and stuff. And so that, that really helps with um, students' confidence and their level of uh, engagement and participation. Both of you are, I think, really digging into some really good stuff there. You know, <clears throat> the best feedback is always close up and personal. Correct. Always. Uh, you know, you can say it's feedback when I say, oh, great job, class, way to go. Well, what was great about it? What'd we do? Who are you talking to? I knew I didn't do a good job because I, I didn't, I, I made three errors, you know, and, and yet you're saying it's a good job and, and, and it, it's a cheap way to deliver feedback. And I, I think Alvin, I love that you deliver it privately and, and, you know, particularly with older kids, with young kids, you, a lot of times you want to give positive feedback you want to give it public you want to say joe way to go there and then all those little first graders they'll jump in line like joe but when you get to the high school and middle school it's almost a badge of dishonor if you go up and praise a, a high school kid publicly you know and they think oh yeah man i know he likes you a lot you know so up up close and personal is the way to go with feedback and and it looks like you guys are delivering it as you should and really doing a great job on that i i really like that and i, I you know you're really talking about getting to all students and while we're on that i know lots of these people listening as well as you guys get students who don't want to be in PE or they don't like what you're doing or I don't know why I have to take this class, et cetera. How do you break that down? You want to go first, Elvin? Hey, well, I have a lot of those. I mean, I mean, at our school, um, uh, we're also tied to uh, tied to, uh, school as well as most of our students are in free reduced lunch as well. So I come from the same demographic. What what I notice is, you know, my years teaching is it it's not about you as the teacher. It 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 really never is. Um I've learned that uh, uh I when I taught elementary, I think there were only maybe two other males uh on campus and kids would look at me like as a father almost and hug me like in class. And so there's so many different things. But once I noticed that it wasn't really about me, because when I find out what the underlying problems are, I mean, it goes anywhere from abuse to homelessness to not having food to maybe just breaking up with a girlfriend or, or whatever the case may be. A lot of times it's never me. So um, once, I, once I look through those lenses, then I can just, you know, go from there and 
still hold true to my management or whatnot, but like, you know, um, Doc, when you were talking earlier about be, you know, show empathy to our college students, I have college students right now and, you know, and, and it rings, it rings true with me because if you don't show empathy to these kids, I'm not saying letting them go from whatever they're doing that's wrong, but you have to show that you care because in the long run, that's what's going to speak to them. The rules aren't going to speak to them. I don't care about doing push-ups. I didn't eat yesterday or my dad just beat me up yesterday. So why should I care about running a, a mile or anything like that? All those things are, are, are not even close. So my thing is to sh just reach out and be patient. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's where I start off first is the relationship. That's where I go first. And that I just got to say that, that what you just got done saying is wisdom in its highest form. Okay. If, if you can share that with the teachers you're working with at BYU there, man, that is wisdom right there. It, it's not about me it, and you can't personalize it. You can't take it. And exactly what you said, and Brian, I know you work with the same kind of students who come to school not trusting any adult because the only adults say no, beat the hell out of them or don't feed them or take care of them. And, you know, why should they trust you? Go ahead, Brian. I, I, I know you had some things you wanted to add there, but I just wanted to, um, I, I can't quietly reinforce you, Alvin, so I'm going to give it to you publicly here. That was, that was a good statement. Yeah, it was, Alvin, and I had almost like a, a set agenda on what I wanted to say, but like with you said, I mean, who knows what our students are going through outside of school, and a lot of the students I teach, I mean, they're clinically depressed or they have anxiety disorders, and I often, when like planning my lessons, delivering my lessons, I would always think of those students first because the other students, if you're an athlete, chances are you're going to figure it out. But what about the ones I'm speaking of? And for me, I was all about giving them the why. Mr. Hall, I don't want to do this today. I understand, but do you know how this is going to help you? Remember, I've been talking about the endorphins and all those little chemicals that we can't even pronounce going on in your head. You're going to feel so much better. You're going to feel happier. You're going to feel more awake next period. But I would also have my students like choose their own avenue of success, where if we were doing badminton games, maybe I had a group of students that don't want to do games. That's fine. I would have them tell me how they can work on their skills. Maybe it's the underhand serve without playing in a game. Maybe that's being off to the side, serving against the wall or serving with a buddy just back and forth. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it took me many years to understand that if someone walks in a gym and you have 80% of students doing, let's say badminton games and another 20 doing something different, I think that's good teaching because you are now teaching to the students and addressing their needs to where if you say, no, everyone must do this, you're going to get defiance, you're going to get students sitting out, and that's doing nobody good. You're absolutely correct. What can you I know, say? Recently, um, recently, I had a student um, 
just really quick story. I had a student that I didn't think I was kind of prejudging the student. And as as teachers, we're human beings. So it's, you know, the student came across really rough. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm probably going to be bumping heads with this student for the rest of the year. So long story short, um, I was just was patient, just constantly reinforced every day, look for an opportunity to ask, shake hands, say goodbye, have a great day. Wasn't getting nowhere. Um, didn't seem to be learning anything, but still I just persisted. And then all of a sudden student comes in and just asks me, Mr. M, I haven't eaten in a day. I'm really, really hungry. Do you have anything? And I, I'm not Mr. Chef, but I just happened to make a pot roast for some reason to like, I was gonna celebrate like in my office for lunch and I had it in my, so I warmed it up, took the student into my office, told them to sit down, shut the door. And I said, hey, this lunch is for you. Go ahead and eat it. So I went back into the weight room and I peered in and I could see the student just crying and sobbing. Ate the whole thing up, wiped off their tears, went back and started working. And then from then on, everything was up here. It's like, can you teach me how to do this? Could you teach me how to do this? I want to do more of this. I want to get more involved. And so I, I thought I was hitting a dead end when actually I wasn't. But if I had been punitive in saying, well, you're late today, this is what you're supposed to do, or you didn't bring this today, rather than just minding it and just reach out, it, it worked well. It could have easily gone the other way. And so I'm, I'm so grateful, you know, I think my wife kind of pushed me more towards that and was more cognizant of that, but that's how I'm trying to do it more. I'm not perfect and I'm human, but I think we each face some of those things sometimes and it's better to err on the side of being more cautious and understanding and being empathetic than having to, because if you manage your class properly, nobody else minds if she's sitting out on the side. And in my class, if somebody's sitting on the side, they don't look at it like, how come so-and-so gets to sit down? They look at it like, okay, this person is choosing to sit down, but I want to get my workout in. I'm choosing to learn and listen. And so when we can, that's why I'm saying management is important because now nobody worries about what everybody else is doing. They worry about what they want to get out of it and they want to learn. And so that's why I go back to management always. Brian, did you have anything you wanted to add on? No, I mean, just what Alvin said, I have so many stories too about how like one little act of kindness towards a student or showing you going out of your way to help a student in need, it's a, it's a game changer. And something that simple, like Alvin said, changes the whole trajectory and the success both as the teacher and student, it just propels so fast. It does, and you know, I, first of all, we are human, and we do make mistakes, and you do catch us on a tired day, and we do do things that we're not, we wish we'd have handled differently. That's that's part of being teacher, teachers. I, I read once where in a 30-minute lesson, a teacher makes over 200 decisions about what to do, what to teach, et cetera. So your brain is going full bore. So if you snap at a student or you make a mistake, don't beat yourself up, okay? That, that's, you just gotta make mistakes. But what I always found out, and because you get difficult students at the university level as well. And what I always found out was if I could break through, they were 
ultimately my greatest supporters. Once I broke through right. them, they were the ones that stuck by me through thick and thin, much yep. more than the ones that came in. Oh yeah, what can I do? And they were happy. Yeah, they'll do anything you tell them. But when you broke through a tough case like that, like the young man you did feeding him the roast, um, you, you know, they're there, they're yours forever and they will make you and you will be the one teacher they remember 40 years from now. Mm -hmm. And when you look back and you say, who's, wh what teacher do you remember from your school days? Most people can't remember anything other than the one who made a difference in their life. Yes. And that's True. the kind of teacher we all want to be. Is uh... Now, you know, I, I wanted to talk a little bit. Um, well, you guys both uh, mentioned differentiated learning and you've talked about it a lot. Is there anything you want to add about differentiated learning, you know, because you get kids with a wide variety of ability, skill, and knowledge. Is there anything you <laughs> want to add about differentiated learning? I mean, I think for me, um, I mean, I always, I always saw differentiation two pieces. It's a whole class differentiation or individual or small group differentiation. And I was always really passionate about the individual or small group differentiation because again we have athletes in classes we have students that don't like physical activity or sports and the ultimate goal as physical educators is we want all students to have fun feel successful and feel challenged and without that individual or small group differentiation i just don't think you can get there because students are always on opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. I it, in, in, in my case, um, one of the reasons why I um, have 45 to 50 students in the classes that uh, I teach actually three classes in one. It's a body conditioning class, it's a weight training class, and an advanced weight training class. Now, each of those are supposed to be separate. However, I, I pleaded with uh, the principal to allow me to combine them because um, there were so many students that wanted to get into the class, but if I only offered two weight training and two body conditioning and one advance, then most of them wouldn't be able to find within their schedule. Um, and so I asked for that. And so now I have three different types of students in the class. And so even with that, there's differentiation between within those three classes. And so what I found out is going back to management is that one, if I can create a safe environment where people are not afraid to fail. Um, one of the things that I noticed as a strength and conditioning coach is people always want to lift more than what they can. They always want to put more weight on. Ego lifting is true. It's, 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 it's a crazy thing. And so if I create an atmosphere where trying to do your very best and holding that up as, as the carrot in my structure and my management, whatnot, then, you know, whether you're a male or female, um, whether you're big or, or short, tall or small, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And so I've invested so much time into that uh, of just building and, and, and sticking with things and, and, and trying to advocate for that, that, the, that when they come in, Someone that might be benching 95 pounds, doesn't matter if they're partnered up with somebody who's doing 225. 
And the person that's doing 225 is encouraging the one that's only doing 95. And so because of that, if you don't even, you're not even at that level, you're not afraid to participate. And I, what I realized about teenagers is they want safe spaces. And once they feel that they're safe, sky's the limit. You can, you can start to let things go and then you can kind of build. And so as long as I provide for the novice learner and the experienced learner, they can coexist and partner up and work together. And I can, I can, you know, I can get things done. And part of that too, is having an administration that, that will support you with the resources that you need to make those things happen too. So mm -hmm. that, that's how I approach that. You know, I, I just got to say about you guys, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm just going to spit it out as, as straightforwardly as I can. You're both master teachers. You've, you've both been successful teachers for many years, and you, you know you, you have huge knowledge base. But what really strikes out and what really touches me, really, is the strong concern you have for the individuals and the students. We talk about SEL and all this other stuff. You can call it whatever you want. It's caring about your students. And both of you have spent a whole lot of time talking about concern, caring, uh, trying to figure out what makes them tick, who they are. And, and man, you know, do you know how good that makes me feel and proud of, of our profession when I hear people like you speaking? So thank you for that. I, I'm not done, but I, I'm not going to let it slip by. Um, um, I, I, it, it touches me and I, I appreciate it big time. I, I really do. Um, I, I, while we're talking about that, I, I want to talk about student engagement, but you know, PE is oftentimes looked at as catering to extroverts. Um, you know, look at me, hit my chest, I'm cool, you know, do a dance in the end zone, whatever it is, celebrate, uh, taunt, you know, all things that I'm not particularly high on. Um, but you see a lot of that. But those are extroverts. But there are a lot of people who are introverted that need to learn life skills and physical lifestyles. What can we do to, to facilitate and, and motivate these introverted and quiet students that could be pushed to the side by the extroverts if we're not careful? How, how, do, you, how do you deal with that? And I think you've said a lot of it, but I, I want you to speak directly to it if, if you guys wouldn't mind. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the introverted students I've had in my career, ironically, a lot of times were like the straight A students, and they were just kind of turned off or intimidated by being in a PE class. So a lot of times, like with that type of student, I would really show them the standard four standard and sometimes I would have them and no other students knew they were doing this but I would have assessed the other students in the class in terms of encouragement cooperation and by doing that I can then have a good dialogue with that introverted student and a lot of times just doing that slowly but surely they come out of their shell and they're not like the pounding on the chest type but in one or two weeks you slowly start you see them getting a little bit more involved whether it's in a game setting whether it's trying to seek out a partner 
Um, but that is a good question, Bob, because sometimes that is a really difficult one where you've got those really quiet, shy students and how, what can you do to make them more involved or stick out like some of the other students might? I know, I know for me, I mean, I have, I always have a bunch of those and that's kind of like my litmus test on like where I'm at as a teacher, how to get those people and move them along, you know, along that range of, of the learning, but it, not to be all touchy feely again, but like, it, it just, I, I gotta say this doc. I mean, I love what I do. I literally love what I do and because I love what I do, it's not it's not hard for me to want to reach out or do something. My mom was an educator for 35 years. She started off as a PE teacher. Most of the things that I try come from her. And so, I mean, she lives next door to me. I come home, things don't work. I just walk in the door and just ask. And, you know, so I have that support, my, my wife. So it, it just boils down to that I love what I do. And so true joy and happiness comes from me seeing other people enjoy what I get to be a part of. And then I, I know I've said this over and over again to you, even in our meeting up in Seattle, is that the management strategies that I take from dynamic physical education are my bread and butter to delivering the content and the curriculum, like nonstop. And I just figure out a way to do that. So when you put that together, like, um, you know, I, I've seen I've seen students that you know were quiet. Now all of a sudden, you know, now now they start looking at themselves in the mirror because they got a few muscles now or something like that, or just somebody, you know, willing to go and help and willing to go way beyond. So I think if, if you really love something and when you give praise and when you give validation, it has to be, it has to be genuine. And when it's genuine, then it resonates more within the soul of a student and they're more likely to come back. So when I really say that, Hey, I really like how you're pushing this weight or I really like where your elbows are in a bench press. Like they literally know that I'm telling the truth. And mm -hmm. so going back to management, when you say it's like, um, for some of my BYU students, I'm trying to get them off of giving these blanket good jobs. Good job, everybody. Good job. Thank you for coming. Good job being here on time. I mean, you say good job. You got two people sleeping, you know, or not are off task. Your good job don't mean good job to anybody. Then nobody cares when you say good job, right? right? So once you spend it, and as a reputation of a teacher and instruction, I mean, once you ruin your reputation, it's very, very hard. So if, if I'm telling someone like, you know, you really got past parallel on that squat, man, that was amazing. Um, uh, they, it really resonates. And from me, I don't look at myself as someone that's any anything special I have to I have to work hard to get these things so I, I spent time literally looking in the mirror practicing how I would praise a student so literally to the point where like if I'm asking a student like okay uh, when I say go uh, partner up with someone and then begin throwing the ball back and forth uh, I would literally tell myself okay whatever I ask that's what I have to praise so if I'm asking for a partnership and they do it I immediately praise that they're joining in partnership if they don't, I don't get mad. I just figure that, okay, now I have to reteach. So from the management portion, I'm always feeling like I'm coming to a crossroads when I'm giving instruction. Either I'm going to praise, reteach, or I'm either going down one of those roads and then to the next instruction, see the praise or reteach, praise or reteach. So to simplify it like that, to me, bring some structure to everything and 
So when I do bring the touchy feely stuff, there's also a science behind it and you know, some uh, pedagogy principles behind it rather than just me saying, how are you today? How you're feeling? It's not just that, but those things have to be practiced and they actually work and stuff. So um, I wanted to say thank you for that because I haven't been, I haven't had the, you know, the opportunity since I met you in Seattle to kind of thank you for that. It's, it's, it's been an overhaul and changing in my teaching for years. So I express that to you. Thank you, Dr. Grace. Oh, well, thank you, Alvin. My gosh. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a great podcast here. Um, you know, um, let's, let's pull it together and, and close up here by talking about the culture you create in your class. What, if you were to, in a few short sentences, talk about the culture that makes you feel great when you walk into a class and you see your class working, what do you want your culture to look like in your class? Because we talk about football teams and creating a culture there and basketball teams are, you know, creating a winning culture there. What kind of culture you wanna see in a nutshell? You don't have to delve into it too deeply, but what do you, what do you want in that? Brian, I'll start with you. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, some key words came to my mind, and it's participation, engagement, discipline, but also fun. And I think if like those four things are going on in an average physical education class, that class's culture, the PE, the PE program's culture would be phenomenal with again everyone participating they're having fun they're helping each other they're disciplined and they're engaged alvin brian i brian i'd like to come visit your class man that sounds like something <laughs> that i, I want to see and strive for i know for me i i just when i if when a new student walks into class i just want them to feel like i want them to feel excited to engage and to like drop whatever they're doing and like, man, I, I just want to, I want to dive in and do what everybody else is doing mm -hmm. and, 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 and stuff. And one thing that I would like to see more of, or what I'm striving for is that I like a service oriented class, meaning um, someone that might set up equipment for somebody else or someone that sees somebody struggling with a lift and walks over there and say, Hey, you know what? Try this way. Maybe straighten up your posture. That's what I want to strive for. And if I can get there, I think, you know, I think learning has learning has definitely taken place if I see that happening. Well, and that's a good point, Alvin. I mean, in Denver Public Schools and the teacher evaluation system, there's one indicator and it's it's one of the learning environment indicators and it's creates a respectful and motivational environment. And you kind of just hit the nail on the head where if you have students going out of their way to help a student who's struggling or maybe they're an adapted student with special needs and just again the culture is a reflection of the teacher i think and what they um teach and what they're all about and i re i just really liked what you said about if a new class if a new kid comes into class do people help them or are they trying to give someone feedback when they're not doing something correctly i just thought that was because uh, that was always one of the main indicators i always strive to get distinguished in 
was the learning environment. Because again, it goes back to routines and management. Without a strong core there, your lesson probably won't be as strong as it should be. And I would say if I had children, and I do have children, but they're 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 in their sixties, okay, so <laughs> they're not kids anymore. But if I had children and I wanted to bring them to your class, uh, either of you, I I would feel so good. And I heard a couple things that would reassure me with my kids what I want. I heard the word safe over and over. You want a safe environment, an intentional environment, a well-managed environment. Okay, a place where all kids count. Wow, you two guys are the best. I mean, I can't thank you enough for what you do for others. And uh, it, it's uplifting. It's uplifting to talk to you. Now I am getting to the end. I'm going to close her up here. But uh, you, you both are uplifting uh, human beings. You're good human beings. And I want you listeners to realize you kept hearing how hard they work at it in the things they try. Nobody is a natural teacher. When you see a great teacher at work and things go smoothly and they just seem to be able to get it on and speak well and, and get kids into action and activity, they've worked for years to master that art of teaching. And it is an art. And so to both of you, a tip of the cap and a huge thank you for the kind of human beings you are and the difference you make in kids' lives. I love you both and can't thank you enough for what you do and, and wish you continued success. Thanks so much for being on the huddle. It, it, it was a great time for me. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. I had a great time and uh, hopefully somebody, I mean, even as a student even or as a teacher, if a student got one little thing you said, it was worth it. So hopefully, the listeners out there was able to even pick up one phrase or one thing myself or Alvin said, it was all worth it. Beautiful. Thank you both. Thank you. Okay. See y'all. Thanks listeners. We'll see you next time. Uh, we're going to take a hiatus over the summer and then we'll uh, start up in August with another huddle. So thanks you so much. Have a great summer. You earned it. Enjoy it. Bye-bye.